and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, my friends, today I am truly living the dream. You know how much a fan I am of human and business psychology. Well, in today's episode, we're going to take a look at how these worlds combine when we're looking at people and team development. And I get to speak to one of my heroes on the topic today, which I'm so looking forward to. Now, many of you will have no doubt taken some form of psychometric test or personality or team assessment at work at some point in your career. The names Myers-Briggs, Insight, DISC, Luminous Spark, Hogan may be names you recognise. And if you don't, and if you haven't been exposed to something like that, I hope this episode inspires you to find out more come the end. But today, I'm joined by Dr. Stuart Desson who's the CEO of the international selection and development company, Lumina Learning. He's the architect of the Lumina Spark personality assessment tool that I'm a qualified practitioner in, and you've you've heard me talk about a fair bit on this show before. The Lumina Learning mission is to transform organizations by celebrating people one human at a time. Now, if ever there was a statement in line with the sentiment of this podcast, (laughs) that was it. Now, I've personally had some wonderful moments using this tool with clients. And in today's show, I want to find out a bit more about what inspired Stuart to take on the established view of psychometrics and bring something arguably richer and more colourful to the table. I want to investigate what Stuart means about when he talks around the topic of humanistic psychology and the role that self-awareness really does play in our development. And with neurodiversity taking a more conscious position in the workplace today, I'd like to understand how that's influencing the work he does on people selection and development. Now, Stuart is on the management board of the Association for Business Psychology, as well as being a chartered fellow of the CIPD. He also possesses a master's degree in operational research, as well as being educated and experienced in the practical application of psychology. And all that is supported by a second master's in change agency from the University of Surrey. So I reckon I'm in very safe hands with this topic today, and I just can't wait to dive in. Welcome to the show, Stuart. Thank you, Andy, and thank you for your uh, your kind words. Um, with that sort of introduction, I'm really looking forward to what I might say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to what you might say. Uh, I've personally loved using uh, Lumina Spark as a tool 
and and having been exposed to various of those that list of assessments back in in mm. my career i'm just really interested to sort of understand more about where it came from and what mm. your influences were and, and then really what you're doing with it going forward but before i get all excited and into all of that do me a favor Stuart. can you just give my listeners a bit of an intro to you and perhaps give us a bit of an insight into what you're really focused on right now Okay, well, I'm the uh, the CEO, I'm the founder of Lumina Learning. I'm sort of the author of the Lumina Spark psychometric um, itself. That was the basis of the, the PhD uh, that I did. Um, in terms of, you know, where's it come from? Well, it's, it's, it's sort of come from my life experience blended with professional experience and some of the academic side. So it's really quite a genuine uh, mixture. I mean, where are we going right now? Um, we're focused on the selection and development market, providing psychometrics that create actually solutions for large, typically large um, organizations. And I would say one of our key focuses right now is is digitizing that experience, as well as removing the sort of pathologizing that some psychometric or psychological approaches engage in so we're bringing in more of a humanistic psychology approach into this realm that may be previously done a, a different way i think that's really interesting and we will definitely dig into that humanistic psychology thing because mm -hmm. it's easy to think well that's psychology is all about humans right but i think in its applications in business and human there there is a blend and a mismatch at times i i mm. suspect we'll find out yes um i mentioned in the intro that you sort of took on an established view yes. of what psychometrics were, how they could should be used, what they even looked like, and were trying to bring a sort of richer, more colourful, I guess, experience to that table. When you were looking at the world of psychometrics, what did you see that was going on that perhaps didn't quite sit well enough with you and, I guess, inspired you to pursue this more humanistic psychological approach. And actually, what on earth does that really mean, Stuart? Define that for us. Okay, let me try. Well, it's been a 20-year journey, really, to get to the point where I decided that I wanted to create Luminous Spark. So it probably started with my personal experience. I've been on a few leadership programs. People have tried <laughs> to develop me and coach me. <laughs> and my, my experience in those early days was that some of the models that were applied to me, that were done to me, I wasn't too keen on. Hmm. They they typed me, they labeled me, they boxed me. And you know, labels I think should be for for for, for clothing, not <laughs> not for, not for human, you know, for human beings. So <laughs> my initial experience was like being told, you know, are you a thinker or a feeler? And someone trying to coach me and figure out which I am. And I was determined to say I'm both. Yeah. So that was my early experience of trying to of of you know breaking like uh, sort of typing models. I would say later when I moved into this area. Because um, I didn't start out in L and D in psychology, I started out in something called operational research. But when I moved into sort of leadership roles and then transitioned towards HR, L and D, and so on, that's when I experienced becoming a practitioner. And I found using many different models some dissatisfaction that the predominant frame was your personality's fixed. You've got one; it's uh, you know to a large extent genetic. It's stuck to you. It's glued to your face. That's your lot. And I didn't like working with those frameworks, even if the clients liked them and wanted them. And I came to embrace humanistic psychology and hold the view that our personalities are dynamic. The context is important. Who we're with is important. And 
there will be a, a shift. And that's when I decided I really either, I went through a phase of saying, I'm not going to work with psychometrics at all. They're too rigid and old school. Mm-hmm. And then after a few years, I came back to saying, how can I apply my knowledge around quantifying stuff to come up with a dynamic model of personality? So that was some of my dissatisfaction that led to the thinking of Luminous Spark. I guess the final piece of the jigsaw was not only are we dynamic, but I didn't want to pathologize. Um, and consequently, the idea that who I am underneath is one thing, how I behave with others, I dial up, I adjust is another. But then I can overextend. Sometimes that can be dysfunctional. Sometimes it can be just what's required in a circumstance. I normally overextend because in the past, at some level, it's worked for me. I'm getting some sort of payoff from it. And so rather than viewing that as a you know a deep dysfunction and going into people's childhood, let's view it in you know, humanistic psychology for me is all about let's be an optimist. We can learn and grow and we're a dynamic and let's and let's work with that. So that's probably the biggest influence. The final bit would be the would be the PhD, of course. Mm. And uh, interesting, when I did the PhD, the the initial challenge from other professors was, well, you've got all this great experience, Stuart, but I'm going to call it anecdotal, and we need to work with in a research paradigm that says, have you read the papers and got the evidence to prove it? So that required a deeper understanding of what other people have said on this topic, you know, in addition to my experience. And that was a useful piece in terms of the development of Spark to make it extremely rigorous and evidence-based. Uh, and having gone through the program to understand all of that, the theory and uh, validity piece behind the model itself is is a whole nother podcast. I mean, there is a whole bunch of we can deep, do another deep, one deep that. detail. That is also a passion <laughs> of me, so I can sort of regress into my inner nerd because I did start out <laughs> as a, in life as a sort of a statistician, operational researcher, but maybe for another day. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. And I, I think this is what's interesting, isn't it? Because this whole world, uh, I, I, I think, well, my personal experience of going through the, the spark thing and this may apply to anybody who's been through any of these tools uh, from a practitioner perspective is that you know when i sort of signed up for it Stuart, i had the expectation of right i'm going to come out of this in the x number of days and i'm going to know everything about someone's personality i'm going to know everything <laughs> everything about stuff that's going on behind the scenes and the reality was that is not the case mm. what the case is is that what the tool allows you to do is start to uncover some very very interesting coaching conversations right is really get to people to have a look at what's what's going on within themselves but more importantly and i think this is what should be the premise behind all of these things is well what does that practically mean for me what does that practically mean for the team that i work in what does that practically mean for the relationships i have with people and what does it practically mean for the business that i'm a part of Mm. and i think that's what's really interesting is that those conversations open up a whole huge mine of mm-hmm. places to go that you can investigate all those sorts of things and and take a really good look at under the bonnet as it as it were yeah i mean for me under the bonnet happens through through dialogue yes so um it's it, it's one thing to measure something uh but measurement is not is not uh the answer measurement is something that's a good starting point for that dialogue and being into humanistic psychology i'm an optimist we can learn we can grow develop and guess what we do that through conversations and exploration and being curious and being open absolutely there's definitely a switch from that fixed mindset approach to a much more open mindset approach when you when you use these things yeah so 
thinking about that humanistic psychology, thinking about your experiences and going through the PhD, based mm -hmm. on all of that background, what principally were you setting out to achieve when you were putting Spark together? Um, I wanted to create a tool that would be a catalyst for people's development. Mm. And I wanted that tool to break the mold and be disruptive and challenging to the other tools that are currently used in the market. And in particular, I wanted to take some concepts that are not normally put into psychometrics. Your personality is dynamic. It can change. It depends on the context and who you're with. And we might overdo things, but it might not be um, dark and dysfunctional. Um, I wanted to take those ideas that would normally happen in a rich coaching dialogue or in, in, in group uh, sessions with really experienced facilitators, but truly enable the psychometric to enable that and take it further and make it happen faster to speed up those conversations. Hmm. And I wanted to remove the resistance that I'd experienced when using other tools on the market that you know unconsciously were taking people back to a more traditional either medical or biological model of of personality which often reflected the personality of the originators of those models so as uh, as my friend nikita mikhailov often says if you really want to understand the psychometric look at who created it <laughs> look at their personality and see what you can learn from that first which i think is probably probably spot on yeah, yeah here, here's my world um, yeah. this is what everything looks like uh judge yes. yourself against that i mean uh, at another level of spark model if i'm really honest it's it's an attempt by me at a very personal level to make sense of the world and make sense of my psychology and those around me which is one reason um it has the balance in it because other psychometrics may you know place more emphasis on measuring let's say extroversion constructively positively or a cheerful leader and typically put less emphasis on you know being introverted at least in a constructive way maybe introversion shy and quiet and withdrawn i really wanted to bring you know a balance to that and that was me trying to make sense of 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 my world and my introversion and extroversion and equally in terms of what the big five calls conscientiousness which is mm. highly prized often in graduate recruitment you want conscientious graduates but um i suddenly realized well hey guess what i'm not particularly conscientious so in lumina we call that being discipline driven that's quite low what can we say about the opposite of it which we call inspiration driven mm. seize the moment a little bit random let it emerge those qualities which are highly prized in humanistic psychology but not typically valued um, in corporate recruitment processes. Um, how could we have a model that could do both? I didn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I want, you know, some of us are very disciplined, some of us are very inspired and emergent. Some of us do both. I want a holistic model that allows us to look at that. Um, that was that was the purpose, really. Yeah. And did you feel that, I mean, that whether it was conscious or unconscious, the sort of pigeonholing was one of the major kind of issues with existing tools or established I tools absolutely out. i absolutely did that was my personal experience before you know i'm before i got into psychology uh when i was doing other things in my early career um i very much felt that i was being pigeonholed i remember mm. being told that i was um very much uh, an extroverted intuitive and because of that i shouldn't get a job in a certain operational area and it limited my career well 
it probably delayed it a year or so because I'm quite determined and don't want to let a psychometric get in the way of what I want to do. But I experienced it limiting me and I experienced seeing people being pigeonholed in a, in a corporate setting in, in an unhelpful way, in a way that caused some people to want to be a certain type, even though they weren't. Um, so when we type and label, we oversimplify and there are huge risks um, in that in that we'll project onto other people, we'll oversimplify other people, and it may even impact our own development. I've seen you know, typing being used as an excuse by people. I remember somebody once saying, I'm sorry I've just upset that customer, but you know, I am the uh, extroverted thinking type. You know, what <laughs> yeah. you expect? And you know, it's not supposed to be used as an excuse. It's supposed to be used to explore. Now, of course, I know there's brilliant typing practitioners out there, and I don't wish to offend them because... Mm a really good uh, typing practitioner knows that it's not about the label. They go much, much deeper. However, I have to say my experience was I was labeled mm. and I have, you know, I've seen that happen and I don't want to go there. I want to do the opposite. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's a really good point about the, the, the practitioner themselves. Cause I think I, I've certainly in my early career going through some of these tests, it's been, I, I guess it's been a veneer kind of a treatment of the result yeah. and the model, and people do then walk away going, "Well, that you would say that you're an ENFP or or, or whatever it, whatever it, yeah. whatever it might be." I also wonder whether Stuart, I'm interested to sort of think about your view on this in today's world of leadership and recruitment and what have you, and the kind of changing landscape we're seeing, you know. Is the traditional view of what a leader looks like, and therefore that's the type we're after, being challenged? And is that why, you know, tools like Spark and others are, I guess, very useful in identifying what someone is as opposed to fixing them to a specific type? So I don't know. Typically, maybe in the past, we'd have said, oh, the ideal kind of leader is a red-yellow combination, and therefore, if you're not that, you've got no chance of being a decent leader. Are we challenging that view now and are, and are tools looking at that? We are challenging that view. And um, <clears throat> there's a there's a distinction to be drawn here between what sorts of people are attracted to roles mm. uh, and those that are most effective. So it, it is the case, and I can see this in my data, that on balance, people who are in the C-suite, particularly CEOs, they do tend to be more extroverted. They mm. do tend to be more outcome focused on balance they have a a degree of discipline and so on however just because those are the sorts of people are attracted to those roles um or they're the sort of people that get promoted into those roles doesn't mean that they are the best and that (laughs) should double down on that sort of what i would call bias and recruit in that one image that's the problem with some of the ai recruitment techniques Mm. used I don't know if you heard a few years ago, Amazon were using um, AI in recruitment. And because certain people with certain traits are, are, you know, are in certain roles, AI doesn't really discriminate. It just takes the data and builds in. It can reinforce these biases. So um, I think Amazon found that they were starting to exclude women from certain leadership roles because they were using a black box AI algorithm and that's exactly what we want to avoid. Yeah. So in in my experience, 
as we move towards more inclusive leaders mm. um, who know how to manage the diversity of a team and harness you know many forms of diversity including psychological diversity that means we need to be open to more diverse leaders as well mm. so one of the benefits of of, of luminous spark is that it actually quantifies constructively leaders who could be counterculture now mm. so the most counterculture leader is one that's a little bit more introverted and contained not so disciplined but quite inspired and go with the flow and maybe one who's not typically so resilient but actually is living in a in a rich world of emotion um and and feels things quite quite passionately those are the leaders that will typically have a hard time even getting on to a high potential leadership program yeah we sort of screened out but actually if we want to operate inclusively in organizations we need to be open to being inclusive around our leadership as well so i guess i'm here to say that whatever our personality there are strengths there are challenges in our leadership and our leadership development and i think what we should be doing when we develop leaders is is working with with who's there and helping them become more effective in terms of how can they dial things up dial things down how can they be more self aware of who they are and working authentically with who they are rather than going for a cookie cutter approach and typing so i mean you mentioned you know le- leaders uh, get typed sales people do as well mm. you know there's an approach to the sales challenger which really effectively says we want a certain type to be in sales and i'm yeah i guess to put my cards on the table I, i'm pretty hostile to any approach that says you need one type for any one role it's too reductionist it's too simplistic and it's definitely not inclusive yeah and i think we'll dig into some more of that inclusivity a bit later on um yeah i want to just reference the the cut you've mentioned the sort of personalities when we're talking about individuals and i think one of the most interesting things doing portrait debriefs with 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 clients on this stuff is the peeling back of the layers from the top line report which in the majority of cases right in the majority of cases people look at it and go yeah it's about 90 percent me at least on average but i'm not sure about this that and the other it's when you're peeling back the layers of personality that this sort of stuff i think really starts to have Mm -hmm. value so just for the benefit of the of the listeners just explain the approach around dynamic personality the three personas and and why that's important for you so what what i found from my experience but also what the research literature says is you don't really have one personality that's Mm. sort of a dated concept depends who you're with and what you're doing and it also suggests that underneath partly through our genetics partly through our upbringing uh, and, the, and the role models and leaders in our life, we do have a preference for expressing ourselves in a certain way. So for me, underneath, I like to be very clear in my thinking. Um, I, I, in my natural preference, I quite like being direct with people. And I also like going with the flow and not being tied down. Let's call that my underlying persona. It's what mm. I gravitate towards if I don't have to deal with customers or different relationships or partners and so on let's call that the underlying however i don't exist in my underlying persona i don't go around doing exactly what i want and feel like all the time i have to function in the world 
uh, with roles and, and, and family relationships and so on. So I rise to things every day. And of course, there's an identity that I might bring. I, I want to be seen mm. as someone that's more organized. So I maybe I dial back a bit of my freewheeling nature that you might see on a Saturday. And at work, I strive to be somewhat more structured. And although underneath, I like to be direct and clear with everybody, I often, in a in my relationship, in my chats with you, Andy, I'll want to be a bit more diplomatic. I'll dial up my people focus and tone down my, my bluntness that I might be thinking in my head, because for whatever reason, that's how I want to be seen. So we call that your everyday persona. Mm. And using some of the sort of Victor Frankl concept of free will, I bring my free will to that. Um, there's some choice in it. There's some unconscious stuff as well. I can get triggered in situations, but I firmly believe we have free will and we can develop ourselves and dial up and dial down. So that's the distinction between who we are underneath and who we are every day. And really one def simple definition of emotional intelligence that I like is I know who I am underneath and I'm aware of how I dial up and dial things down and I can bring my conscious will to it. That actually is a key part of emotional intelligence the other persona that we have so we have that underlying bit the everyday persona the third bit is what we do when we get triggered or what we do when we do too much of a good thing or you know overextend um so in my case you know i'm quite clear in my mind underneath i'm much more diplomatic when i'm speaking to you andy and we haven't done it yet but if you were to trigger me and poke me in the eye I might suddenly come out and be over, go back to being overly blunt because that sometimes comes out in my overextended. And, you know, part of being coached is to be coachable and be willing to look at that and think, is that really serving me? Mm. You know, maybe in certain circumstances it is, uh, but actually not all the time. So can I notice what triggers me? Uh, and can I engage in some disciplines and practices to get back to equilibrium and be more, you know, effective? So that's what I would call the three, we call that the three personas, and we're a dynamic, we're always moving between them. Of course, we're even more than three. Three is <laughs> a nice number for a good dialogue. Um, you know, we have many, many different personas. If you like, I have my persona as a, as a CEO when I'm working with my team, and I have a different persona when I'm with my kids, and so on. So different contexts will draw that out as, as well. I think that's such a great point. And a lot of the questions that, you know, clients, coaches always end up referencing is, is the context going to change my result? Is it going to yes. influence my personality? And I, the simple answer to that is yes. <laughs> yes, yes, it will. <laughs> and there's a great academic uh, theory that I've drawn on uh, that, that explains this. It's called trait activation theory by a, a brilliant psychologist uh, called Tet. And the theory basically says is we've got many, many traits dormant, you know, in us. And you could consider that part of the underlying. But certain traits are activated in a certain context. Yeah. So whereas I'm not normally, for example, um, you know, aggressive towards people, that's not something I would normally do. I'm, I'm, I'm rarely triggered to be aggressive in, in a work context. But I remember, you know, some 15 years ago, uh, a, 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 an altercation at a train station where someone was being incredibly uh, racially abusive and ultimately needed to engage and get somebody arrested and get the police, police 
you know, that context triggered a trait and it was probably appropriate to be more aggressive in that situation if you get the gist. So the the context triggers the the different traits. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely makes sense to me. I, I just want to just clarify some of the language stuff, uh-huh. Stuart, because whenever I mean, depending which which uh, assessment you go through or what you've done in your past or what you're doing, you're going to hear traits, types, yep. preferences, behavior. Just glossarize those things, if that's even a word. Um, yeah, what, I'll what... try and glossarize. Okay. <laughs> so the first thing is this traits and types. They're basically two different theories. Type theory um, sort of posits that you can, you know, when certain things cluster together, it sort of forms um, a type. And that was the, original psychological models were pretty much all typing theory which sort of stems from a you know 100 or so years ago 120 years ago a medical model of when these things apply you've got a certain condition Mm. it's like a medical sort of frame on it as time's gone by with the big five a trait methodology which he says it's all on a continuum um has become to become more sort of preferable in research and pretty clearly in the in the trait camp both academically because my research says often these things are normally distributed and it's on a continuum mm. uh, but i'm also there sort of from a humanistic psychology perspective because i believe that we can tune up tune down and change we don't need to stick with a type now that's traits and types I only use the term trait when I'm referring to things academically or when I'm referring to other people's models that use the term trait. So I mentioned, you know, trait activation theory. In Lumina terms, I simply talk about qualities, and that's just an attempt to sort of de-psychologicalize. I think I've made that word up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll take just it. to make it just to call it a quality rather than a trait to make it less threatening. Hmm. And you know, what you were referring to, what's a, a preference? A preference is a bit more innate. I call that just your underlying persona. And again, mm. attempt to simplify it a bit. Behavior comes a bit more into what I would call your everyday. Um, so our everyday includes our behavior. It does include our thoughts and feelings and emotions as well. But I call that your everyday persona. And some people would put behavior in there. Some psychologists don't see your behavior purely as part of your personality. So there's an academic debate. Is your personality deep buried inside you and your behavior is something else i'm here to say in practical terms in my opinion your personality is your thoughts your feelings your emotions and your behavior and in in the lumina model we put more of your behavior into that every day overextended and then the overextended what i call the overextended persona in the literature they will call it maladaptive traits yeah um uh, they might even call it counterproductive, you know, work behaviors. These are the words that are used in the in the literature. Sometimes it's called the dark side. Um, yeah. If people like that terminology, um, I like the terminology of just saying it, you're just overextending. It's just a bit too much of a good thing because I'm trying to take the the pathologizing out of it. And my preference is not to go anywhere near the DSM framework of saying psychotic and schizophrenic and sure. how that shows up in your life. That's a bit a bit too dark. For my taste so compared <laughs> to other models the overextended concept it's simply too much of a of a good thing is how we frame it i, I think this is what makes the, the the tool really practical in its application because it isn't scary it isn't kind of medical one I'm, I'm not lying someone on a couch 
working yeah. out if they're a sociopath or a narcissist mm. or you know, that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about getting a bit of self-awareness a bit of reflection to properly understand what you're in control of what you're not in control of of and trying to be a bit more conscious about these things so that you can grow adapt develop right yeah i mean i think that's it bang on and i would say that the self-awareness piece there is central uh, although there is a catch with it so we can raise our self-awareness through looking at who we are our underlying everyday or extended if we can richly understand that that will raise our self-awareness but guess what if we just have an interesting experience and if you were to coach me andy and raise my self-awareness but then i go back to work and carry on doing the same things i've always done i call that the booby prize you know right. the worst of all worlds you've raised your <laughs> self-awareness and then you've not used it so ultimately we do need to change our behavior if we're going to make use of that self-awareness and that's why i think behavior is part of personality um because it's our expression of who we are and it, it brings in that victor frankl concept of your will <laughs> and your choice and your freedom which you know we have the freedom to choose our behavior we're not automatums um, i think that the word choice is such a great word in this and and, and especially when you're having sort of conversations along this line actually asking someone to recognize it's a choice they're making to dial up die down suppress yeah. accentuate it often brings about some of the biggest pauses in some of those conversations where people are like well am i in control of this or not uh and yeah. it's it's a really really interesting moment in those conversations uh and it's a challenging moment isn't it because uh it's much easier to think well i've just got stressed out by this event you know or someone's <laughs> done it to me and i can't help it yeah um, when in fact, what you what we're encouraging here is a profound taking of personal responsibility uh, for what happens when we get triggered. Uh, and I'm not pretending that's uh, an easy thing to to grapple with, but that's what we're about. And if we want to be really effective, inclusive leaders, we need to be able to look at that and do it. Yeah, I'm fascinated by when you you talk about self awareness <laughs> potentially being a booby prize if you do nothing with it. I mean. <laughs> The the rule of thumb would say self-awareness is incredibly important to our development. It's a starting block, right? Yeah. But but where is it where, in your view, where does it lead to? What are the sort of other steps in the in the process? Well, of course you need to start with self-awareness. So we don't know whether it'll end up the booby prize or not, because <laughs> we have to start by raising it. But in in my way of looking at the world it's a great place to start so i raise my self-awareness to who i am underneath how i behave how i get triggered i raise my awareness to my to my values you know i need to put a focus on them to discover what they really are i maybe raise my self-awareness around my identity and what i aspire to and so on all these things help raise my awareness including awareness of my emotions um i'm willing to admit if you'd met me at 18 19 20 years old i didn't really acknowledge emotions in my life i was very much in the world of of logic and and science and it's taken a while for me to realize that part of self-awareness is noticing different feelings and emotions and being able to figure out where they've come from but it's not enough so i would say the next step is yes i'm aware of myself but actually i now need to be aware of other people and i need to be aware of their feelings emotions and where else so i would wrap that up around can i value the diversity of other people it's easier for me to understand people who are similar to me in terms of values and personality 
it's more challenging to value diversity of someone who's my complete psychological opposite. But that's the challenge. So the first thing to do with your self-awareness is then start to read other people and value the diversity around you and not judge it. It's natural to judge people that are different yeah, um, negatively. We want to drop that, value it. The thing that comes after that, of course, if I can drop my judgments on others that are different, I've got a chance of building rapport with them. I've got a chance of connecting with them. Uh, and I should focus my effort on building that rapport. And if we can do that collectively, if a number of us are doing it together, then as a team, we're in with the possibility of co-creating together. We're in with the possibility of the team being inclusive, listening to each other, valuing each other, giving each other feedback. All this stems from self-awareness. Then we can have a team that co-creates as opposed to a team that's not so self-aware, a little bit judgmental, people rec are recruited in their own image. It's a bit clony. And then when we go for results, it's not the co-creation of results. It's just driving for results, you know, grinding for results. And I'm not saying that's not effective. I do think it's more stressful. And I do think ultimately it won't tap into people's underlying purposes and probably won't result in an engaged, you know, workforce or place to work. I'm not saying it doesn't work because many organizations do it. But I am suggesting being more aware, valuing others, building rapport, being aware of our emotions and co-creating together is a, is a much better way of doing it. I, I think that's the sustainable route, Stuart, in the work that, that, that I do with engagement and retention particularly. Yes. I think this thing around team cohesiveness and trust is what ends up being the foundation for sustainable performance as opposed to the sort of yin and yang and you're right everything i've just said you could reframe it as it's creating more team cohesion and you're building trust you know if i start to understand who who you really are and you understand who i am we're going to build trust through that process if you notice i'm not judging you you know and vice versa that also builds trust what kills trust is if i think you're judging me yeah um, i'll then close down absolutely and that can be based on a whole bunch of assumptions and i think what we end up doing with these sorts of tools is lowering the waterline on the iceberg and seeing mm. a lot more of what really lies beneath the water and and therefore once you see it you can appreciate it and you can do something with it um i mean that's a great way of seeing self-awareness it's lowering the waterline so we can have a look what's down there yeah absolutely yeah, maybe we'll never get all the way down to the bottom <laughs> yeah uh, do think there is an ultimate unconscious that we're not completely aware of but we can we can take it away yeah absolutely i'm really interested also and it's it's been it's come up a number of times recently and i want to think about i may maybe some of the diversity stuff that, that you mentioned mm -hmm. a bit more but um particularly with neurodiversity right uh -huh. and ne neuro awareness we, we are i think a lot more conscious of these things or beginning to get a lot more conscious about these things and particularly at work and has this changed challenged validated the work that you've done and i asked the question because the other day in fact you know uh, with a with a group ahead of a group i had uh, a couple of people contact me privately to say i need to let you know i've got adhd and mm -hmm. is this going to affect my result is it going to affect my profile please help yes so, so what, what, what are you seeing going on uh, well firstly i think there is um <clears throat> certainly in the UK, um, Europe, the US, Canada, I think there is a trend. If I go back to my childhood, P 
people who were neurodiverse, you know, ADHD, autism, and so on. It, it was a, an extremely um, negative label, back to the typing conversation that was put mm. on people, which could create a negative feedback loop. If you were perceived in that way, it would impact the quality of the teaching that you would experience and so on. What's changed now, I think, not completely because there are still judgments, but people are more now open to the fact that um, it's not um, a disorder, dysfunction, or something to be ashamed of. Actually, it's a, just a different way of being. We are just neurodiverse rather than framing it neg negatively. Now, having said that, some people do still frame it negatively, of course, and it is, you know, ADHD is technically a, a disorder. So I think we're on a journey where in the workplace, we are in the process of starting to see the benefits of people who are neurodiverse. In terms of um, Lumina, Lumina Spark, because the model is designed to be inclusive and because the model is designed not to have what I call an evaluative bias, meaning that the model is designed not to overvalue extroversion over introversion and to make sure they're both measured constructively so you know introversion can be you know i listen before i give my view rather than saying you're a bit shy yeah um because we've tried to remove those biases and create a holistic model it does mean that people who are neurodiverse will find a home in the luminous spark model that may be less judgmental mm. than other models so for example we do know um, because we've done research with neurodiverse people and people that are neurotypical and we've got them to fill in luminous spark and luminous emotion and we've analyzed and correlated the data so we do know that typically you know on average people like the colleague you mentioned with adhd are likely to be higher on inspiration driven and lower on discipline driven mm. uh, so they are that unless they go into the hyper focus mode of adhd and then they could become very discipline driven so if they get their luminous spark portrait back and they can see that their go with the flow their spontaneity is very constructively described and they've not been pathologized mm. that can be extremely encouraging for them so i have um a colleague um who, who i work with who is autistic and is happy for me to share uh their, their story uh, which is that for 20 years in their career they were perceived as too shy too introverted too anxious and so on and they were for 20 years striving at work to dial it up and fit in more and they were masking things and so on and interestingly one of the things that helped them when we worked together and look at luminous spark was realizing there are great strengths in their introversion and suddenly they dropped the need to be dialing up and trying to pretend they were more extroverted than they were and suddenly they found a way of playing to their strengths and being more authentic to who they are and they report and tell me that that for them was really transformational. And I think that example is is what we should be doing uh, uh, to help people who are neurodiverse not have it put on them as a dysfunctional label, but to see that there are strengths in it. That's you know, it's humanistic psychology, it's positive psychology. Call, call it what you want. It's a way of honouring people um, and respecting who they are. And that comes. To round full circle to the mission that we started with the introduction about celebrating people one human at a time which i 
I totally subscribe to and absolutely I'm love. So glad you like it. Yeah, because for me, it always starts with the individual. Often our interventions are to transform or change organizations, but actually the ingredient we work with are human beings one at a time, and we're all different and we're all precious. Yeah. Absolutely. We're a bag full of emotions, uh, yeah. ready to be ready to be rifled through. Um I think we've come to the part in the show, Stuart, where it's an opportunity for us to summarize this. Uh-huh all too short conversation if i'm honest but if you were to fit on three little sticky notes three sagely pieces of practical advice Stuart, that would help people i don't know maybe even think about uh, psychometrics differently or apply them differently what would your well now you're of wisdom be? your discipline when i like my freedom why <laughs> i want 20 okay let me try so i think we started out the conversation saying you're not a type, you're not a static thing, your personality is a dynamic. So I think my first sticky note would be to say, as human beings, we're dynamic and we have conscious will in that process. There's who we are underneath, every day we're extended. So I guess sticky note one, you're a dynamic, you're not a static and you're definitely not a type. That would be my first one. Uh, what would be my second one? I Maybe... Maybe we've talked about um, self-awareness, and I would say <clears throat> my next sticky note would be self-awareness is essential for our development, but it's the booby prize if you don't take action. That probably <laughs> would be my my second sticky note. <laughs> um, my third one, maybe tapping into what we discussed on neurodiversity, mm. I would say it, it's not a disorder people are either neurotypical or neurodiverse it's simply a form of diversity so neurodiversity is about harnessing that the positive and the good in everybody absolutely that broader perspective can only get better results in the in the end i think whatever we're talking about i love those sticky notes I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. For me, me, too. me too. for me, I would have loved it to have been another three or four hours long, um, but I don't have time for that today. <laughs> Stuart, thank you so much for coming on. I know you're an incredibly busy man. You're about to jet off to South Africa and all, all the good things over there. So thank you so much for yeah, being Andy, here. Andy, no, thank you for taking the time to ask me such stimulating questions and the privilege of, of sharing it with, with all your listeners. So thank you. No, brilliant. Well, um, you take care, my friend, and I hope to see you again soon. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Okay, everyone, that was Dr. Stuart Desson. And if you'd like to find out a bit more about him or any of the topics that we've covered today, please check out the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.